0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reibstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dave Riebstein, professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and I'm joined, as always, in studio by my co-host and Ph.D. candidate of marketing and business ethics here at Wharton, Sunil Bedi. Welcome, Sunil. Hope Thanks you had for a, having you me. Hope you had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. What about you? Yeah, mine was wonderful as well. So really good. Let me remind our audience that we're live every Monday at 4 p.m. on Sirius XM channel 132, and we are replayed throughout the week. So tell me about your weekend, if it was so wonderful. Oh, I just went outside, enjoyed a little weather, played a little tennis. Can't beat that. Uh, you are a good tennis player. I'm okay. Much better than... Uh, well, I, I spent time, part of that time on the weekend, flying. You got uh, delayed, Yeah, right? delays, delays, delays. Mm. It's just part of what happens when you fly. I had been out uh, to Purdue, my alma mater. Oh, and wonderful! I w- was there, but I didn't stay for the football game. I came on back, and then I see in the news that our our host here, you know, Sirius XM, they bought Pandora. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Big acquisition. Uh, it's exciting. B- costly acquisition, Absolutely. but big big acquisition. And it sort of gives you a sense of the value of having a set of listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, really, really amazing to see that they've done that. And congratulations. That's exciting to see what's going to happen in the future. It's really, really great that they uh, happen to have done that. But we have a good show to get to today. So let me tell you what about the show today. So in the first half of the show, we've got this amazing woman that I actually got to meet and see her present at a MASB board meeting, Marketing Accountability Standards Board mm-hmm. meeting uh, that was held in August uh, up in Boston. And, uh, and that's Denise Carcos, who happens to be the Chief Marketing Officer of TD Ameritrade. And she's incredible, she's really, really great. So she's gonna be with us in the first segment of the show. Second segment of the show, um, it's going to be you and me, Sunil. And Sounds we're going great. to open the lines up to any questions people have about marketing, branding, metrics, anything that they could uh, think of that's relevant to that. Certainly, they can call in during uh, Denise's time when she's on the phone uh, as well. Let me remind the audience that you're listening to Measured Thoughts on SiriusXM XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And you can give us a call at any time at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 844 942 you can email us at businessradio at com. You can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z Radio 132. But I'm excited. Let's start talking to Denise. So, Denise, welcome. Glad to have you on the air.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, hope your weekend was a good one as well.
1: It was. No tennis for me and no Purdue, but I had a couple good runs and watched my Fighting Irish win, and we're now 4-0. I, I have been...
0: Uh, commenting to Sunil that you're from Notre Dame and you were a soccer player there too right?
1: Yeah, yeah I was um, You know, back 25 years ago um, but was able to be part of that uh, D1 program which was uh, an incredible experience to be a female athlete at Notre Dame Uh, learned a lot of lessons. Yeah, it's a great program it's a really good soccer program they have there Yeah, well the the women have taken it to a whole new league since I left so um, they've been fantastic there. A a great group of girls
0: Absolutely. Well that's fantastic but we're not going to talk to you about soccer and we're not going to talk to you about Notre Dame. I I want to to know a little bit about your background and then start talking about TD Ameritrade and what it means to be the CMO there. So first, give us some of your background after soccer at Notre Dame and um, and how it is that you got to be at uh, TD Ameritrade.
1: Sure. Uh, so I graduated with a marketing degree and knew that I wanted to pursue marketing. I, I just had no concept of how broad the field was and kind of how many jobs you could take. So I just took an entry-level job as an administrative assistant at a media buying company called Western Media, which is now, I believe, Initiative Media in Chicago, and kind of just started to get my feet wet in the whole advertising world, and um, then moved on to different advertising agencies in Chicago and Detroit, and then back home to my hometown of Boston, uh, where I worked at Hill Holiday and Digitas. And and that was in the kind of mid-90s, mid to late 90s, when the dot-com, you know, the world of online advertising was just being born and happily I was at the forefront of that and got a lot of really good experiences under my belt and kind of became a a digital native and really um, you know, sinking my teeth into that whole world so um, from there, I, I took a turn onto the brand side. Worked at LL Bean, worked at TD Bank, and um, realized, kind of getting the landscape that I, I really did have a desire to kind of take the top job if I could ever earn it as chief marketing officer. And I happily joined a company in TD which fosters talent and kind of helps you really groom um, your role to to really earn the title. And so. Part of their process was to put me down to TD Ameritrade here in Jersey City from Portland, Maine, where I was working uh, for the bank. And um, I had a series of jobs here, which ultimately got me into the chief marketing officer role about five years ago. I've been at TD for 11 years in marketing for 25 and um, yeah, chief marketing officer for the last five and loving every minute of it. So
0: part of what's uh, interesting about that is that I hear people say, You know, you go to work for an ad agency and you're locked into uh, agencies forever. But you went from being in an ad agency to actually moving to a marketing position and and now the top marketing position. So that's incredible. I want to understand TD Ameritrade Mm -hmm. and understand what it is that TD Ameritrade really is for the few listeners who don't know what it is.
1: Sure, sure. So we compete in um, you know, the broad financial services space, but specifically in online brokerage. So our you know, competitors are Fidelity, Schwab, and E-Trade. And uh, we recently acquired Scott Trade, which was one of our former competitors. So um, we have two businesses, a B2C and a B2B business. Um, the B2C business gets the majority of my resources and time as a marketer. And that's for people who want to use a top platform to trade stocks uh, to invest for the long term um, or the short term where we've got um, kind of it all for investors. And then on the B2B side, we actually offer the technological platforms for registered investment advisors to service their end clients. And so we have a, a small but mighty team that focuses on the B2B side. So really playing the financial services category, specifically online brokerage and supporting both advisors and the end consumer in their trading and investing.
0: You had, you had talked about having first been at TD Bank. So how, how is it TD Ameritrade and TD Bank are affiliated?
1: Sure. Yeah, and on the eastern seaboard where TD Bank is present, um, there there does exist some brand confusion. Uh, TD is, stands for Toronto Dominion, and they're based in Toronto, Canada. And TD Bank Financial Group is the holding company, so they own 100% of TD Bank U.S. and 41% of TD Ameritrade. Um, TD Ameritrade was the merger of uh, TD Waterhouse and Ameritrade from Omaha, Nebraska, back about you know, a couple, you know, 20 years ago. So. Um, that, that's how we've come to be. So we are minority-owned by Toronto Dominion, so we're kind of cousins with the bank, and certainly share a lot of talent and resources with the, the U.S. Bank.
0: And you share a couple initials, too. We and, do,
1: very important ones.
0: And, yeah, you do, and you share some of the the coloration also. I've noticed that you've got the same colors and somewhat the same logo. Yeah, at, the same TV, TV, TV
1: shield, exactly. So so, so
0: what that raises in my mind is that you are uh, one of the, one of your responsibilities is in terms of building brand and i'm right. curious what it is that you do and need to do in order to coordinate with the bank
1: yeah, so um, I think that's one of the benefits of me having been there for about four years prior to coming down to TD Ameritrade. I understand um, the inner trappings and workings of both the U.S. bank and the Canadian bank, and kind of uh, what needs approval, what's okay to kind of get away with. So just the logistics of operating in a kind of you know bigger organization was was not new to me. So um, you. Know, What is pristine is that TV shield. It is um, core to our brand and our identity, and the TD Ameritrade logo is part and parcel to that and not something that we... Um, would ever really touch without actually having a conversation with the bank. But happily, there's really hasn't been much of an, a need to, to touch it. The brand has a lot of equity and we benefit from the U.S. bank. Largely, their real estate footprint is all in A locations. They're beautiful, pristine banks. They're open, long hours, and they have a lot of positive reception from their existing clients. So it's a positive brand association when there is confusion. It's a positive it's a
0: positive one. So you, ma- you mentioned great locations. Uh, the, the bank that where I bank happens to be right across the street from my office, and it's a TD bank. And as I walk in, it has signage that says, America's most convenient bank. Oh. So, so their, their positioning is all around conveni- convenience. And part of what it is that contributes to that is just their locations, but also the hours that you mentioned. Does okay. that force you to be consistent with that and be the most convenient know, trading company and have extended hours and how how's that work? And again I'm trying sure. to think about the coordination side. Yeah,
1: yeah, of course. Um, the good news in terms of you know the the brand value propositions is that what the bank has so successfully done is take away all the main irritants of a retail banking consumer. So longer hours don't chain the pens to the desk, in fact, take as many pens with you as you want, free dog biscuits, come on in, use the bathroom. Like It's just incredible that to. they literally knock down every single irritant, and they all ladder up to what you want from a retail bank, which is a convenient experience that you can kind of get in and get out. We have different insights in our category. It's um, where convenience comes in. It's more about speed. So I want to place a trade. I want the fastest execution. How do I kind of be unencumbered in my experience, serve me up education or tools or research quickly because the markets are moving, so I want to be able to get to that trade. So a technology backbone and one of like really strong infrastructure and our ability to execute is an incredibly important facet of um, what we want to deliver to consumers. And if you'll hear in that, the other point I wanted to make is that about 85% of our customer interactions are online, and that's different than the bank. So while we do have 364 locations across the United States, um, that is much more of an existing customer um, service opportunity. So for them to come in, maybe go over their portfolio, do some reallocations. But the core you know, of our business is really online, and that's more about ease and speed.
0: So you invest- Implemented differently, but it still is around the theme of convenience, and and you're sort of, you're you're both hooked onto that. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Con- convenience, as defined in a, a slightly different way, you know, brick and mortar convenience for the bank, and kind of technological convenience, even sure. simplicity, and speed for us.
0: But by, by the way, do you ever do you measure? So this program is all about sort of marketing and what it is that we measure and everything. Do you measure how how your customers perceive you to be convenient or not relative to others?
1: Yeah, we do. We have um, multiple attributes against which we have a longitudinal study to see how do we fare against kind of ease of use, for instance, versus Fidelity and Schwab, uh, and against the different target segments that we serve. So we're constantly looking at those metrics to make sure that we're – we're able to you know move them in the right direction, and you know not all of them do. And sometimes there's, if there's a you know technological glitch, we'll see it in the brand health metrics. So we we keep a very focused eye on a lot of the brand health studies that we do, and certainly there's multiple facets of uh, the questions we ask to get at that kind of convenient experience.
0: Yeah, that's great. So let me remind our audience: you're listening to Measured Thoughts on SiriusXM One Thirty Two Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're currently speaking with Denise Carcos, who is the chief marketing officer of TD Ameritrade. And you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And you can ask her any hard questions that you want. Mm-hmm. Denise, uh, you just mentioned that, you know, you have a diverse customer um, uh, a, a customer database. And I, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. I can imagine in the online trading context, you have players that are very sophisticated, whether they be institutional or individuals. You also have people that have no idea how to trade online. So how do you think about delivering different messages? Or is it the same message? How do you think about marketing to those th- that diverse set of consumers?
1: Yeah, so um, I think one of the I think I'm, I grew up in the best era for a marketer. So, uh, the fact that I've been able to see how to be a marketer when you really didn't have uh, a lot of technological uh, tools to help you and the analytics weren't as robust to today, where, I mean, for our business especially, being uh, largely online. We have such sophisticated partnerships that we can have to understand and mine data and really personalize a consumer's journey. It's intoxicating, to be honest with you. So um, we have a lot of external partnerships from attribution modeling companies to you know, third-party data like a, use Adobe and Salesforce from a customer relationship management perspective and we do a few things first of all we we thread our infrastructure together so that you know marketing may be taking advantage of Adobe's marketing cloud but sales is taking advantage of Salesforce sales cloud those two journeys have to intersect because the customer is going to live in each of them and and the partnerships you form internally as well as with the technological solutions are really critical to make sure you've got the foundational infrastructure against which you can message because the data is always flowing through these systems and you know i like to say that a few years ago we did a really good job as a company using data and targeting sophistication to reach customers on the open web with a very personalized message. And then on the marketing site, so dot com, we do another really good job there. And we kind of thread those journeys together. But once you log in, it's run by a different part of the organization. They use different tools, different analytics. And the customer's data would be lost and a new journey would begin. So that's what we're overcoming now is you can't think of it from an you know, org chart perspective. You have to overcome any of that you know, issues and have influence so that you can actually truly be customer centric. So, Use the data, use the technology, and use your influence to thread the narrative together so that it's customer centric. that That's the journey that we've been on, and we're definitely seeing it pay dividends in terms of the responsiveness of our of our clients.
0: So a- analytics, attribution, personalization, I hear you mention all those things. Mm-hmm. You know I get excited when I hear you talk about that. So you've sort of led the transformation there at TD Ameritrade as I understand it. First of all, how difficult of a journey was it to sort of transform the organization to be much more customer centric and, and using all the analytics that uh, you were just describing?
1: Yeah, you know, it's um I I've worked for, you know, dozens of CMOs and learned so much over my my years and it's given me the time, and I, I think you know the lesson that I always learned is when the day comes where I am able to kind of pursue that that dream and take that role, kind of know how I want to show up and because as you get you know older in your career or more seasoned. You know, people have their own brand, and what kind of marketer are you? Are you a brand marketer? Are you are you a, a data marketer? Are you more about technology? Kind of, where's your passion take you? And, and you know how do you how are you seen by your team? And and for me, I, I put a lot of thought into kind of, you know, what is that for me? And it actually, kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation in terms of sports. You know, I'm competitive as heck, and I want to win. And, and I'm a um, such. I'm so indulged by the fact that we have data and analytics to actually know when you're winning. And that always is going to be kind of how I showed up as a CMO. And so when I got the role, I brought the team together. And in one of my early days, comments to them was that I want to, analytics to be the heartbeat of this organization and every next dollar and resource will go into analytics because we're all going to be armed with data to really guide our decisions and when everybody loves to be a marketer when people question your decisions you'll have at least a backbone of information to be the validating source behind why you made the decision and it helps build confidence in your people um, it helps the best part it drives true revenue and um, so, you know, I declared it from on high that that's the kind of marketing department we're going to be. And then I hired the best and brightest and have a wonderful team of, of analytics folks um, and great partnerships across the firm because we're pretty decentralized with our analytical model. Um, so, so that's been really fun. And, and the last thing I'll say is that um, I also had a, a very strong mission because I had heard stories about, you know, how marketers have gone to our board of directors and shown up in the past, and they had been fine, they'd been good, but it was always traditional around. You know, here's our, um, you know, here's the latest marketing campaign. And I kind of vowed not to talk about the traditional marketing campaigns, but instead to talk about the revenue contribution of our efforts, what the incremental return on investment was, what the marginal return, um, and really talking the language of the business and for the department and for me personally, I think that is. Really helped to build credibility um, where where I felt like we we needed it,
0: wow. so that's really it's totally amazing because, You come from an ad agency background and you don't come in and talk about the latest campaign you want to talk about the analytics i i love that aspect you raise so many questions or or so many issues in what it is you said that sort of has led to you know about four hours of questions and i know we don't have that much of your time today but i want to i want to pick off one of the things that you just said of talking about your competitive edge and um and and that is how you are somebody who's competitive but what I will tell you is, I think the uh, the financial industry is one of the best industries at analytics, yep. A- and um, and so if you're doing all these analytics, and your competitors are, aren't you just back to even, or or are you out analyticking them? Yeah. If, that, if I could use that expression. <laughs>
1: um, well, what I love about that question is, I think what. Left on its own, you know, back in the day, right? You're either a brand marketer or you're a direct marketer, and today you have to have all of those skills, and they're all kind of blended together, because the the, the the art can now be delivered in the most targeted way. So you better have the science behind it, right? Um, but if we, if we just were left with the analytical progress, you're right, we can you know really compete on that level. But all you're going to be doing is buying, you know, individual transactions probably more cost effectively. But the real, I think, magic is when that kind of science meets the art. And our financial services category is so laden with distrust. If you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, we are at the bottom. Um, we're outpaced by chemicals as a category. So we, and, and,
0: and it may be cable services. I don't know. But, yeah, 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 right. right. I, I right. would
1: agree with you there. Um, so for us... Um, I'm less interested in just stopping at the transactional level and measuring the ROI of that, but really, really earning the trust and therefore the relationship of the consumer. And, And that is so much harder. So I think that's where I think the sweet spot for TD Ameritrade can be. And that's why we've kind of built our communications around not using jargon, not using all the legalese and really just coming at it from a very human perspective, which, again, is another thing we share with TD Bank, a very human approach. So I think it's a combination where we will win.
0: I I, I love it. I hope that is the case. And uh, it seems like you guys are doing very well. So that's great. You mentioned measuring the ROI of your spending. Are you able to – I mean, come on. Can you really (laughs) measure the ROI of uh, of the spending that happens there? Yeah,
1: yeah. So we – We have a lot of sophisticated models that we use, and and I think the most important thing I did on this front was I I brought in our our finance team to help us not only kind of select the right vendor, we use New Star, Market Share Partners, and and really understand a little bit of the black box methodology, and what they're able to do for us is use our financial inputs as to kind of revenue per segment and profitability, uh, lifetime value. So all inputs from finance, marketing, kind of playing a hands-off role. And then them showing us the efficacy by channel, by message, by segment, in an incremental ROI perspective. Historically, we had taken credit for 100% of the new accounts that walked in the door. These models tell us now you would have gotten you know, X percent anyway just because – markets were up or it was really volatile uh, or competitors, you know, dropped their pricing. And so there's all sorts of macroeconomic factors that play into my world and I'm sure every other marketer's world. But we can actually kind of deduct that from the performance and only take credit for the incremental contribution of marketing. And since finance is bought in, you know, we go back test against the reality and you're at a 96% confidence rate that the ROI models that we have in place over the last five years are, are pretty valid.
0: I didn't realize you had been using New uh, Star Market Share. I had been uh, on their advisory board and very involved with them, so uh, oh, good. I'm, I'm delighted to hear that as well. Now, one of the things I heard you introduced as was the accountable CMO, and you've mm. referenced uh, an accountable C- uh, CMO. What, what's that mean?
1: Well, I, I'd say you know if um, if I'm if I'm not performing, or if my campaigns aren't performing, my team's not performing. I'm going to be the first one to talk about it. And happily, we, we live in a, a culture here of test and learn and fail fast. So when I talk about accountability, I actually make it uh, our team's brand to make sure we talk about what's not working, because otherwise we're not pushing ourselves. And everything can't be roses, especially because marketers hold such a negative brand with people who are not in marketing, right? They think everything's a, a party and it's all kind of, um, you know, pretty pictures and everything's yeah. always working, and and when it's not working, and you just say things like, "Well, people are really engaged," uh, and you right. use these amorphous <laughs> terms. So I don't. I want credibility, and so part of credibility comes with saying, "You know, we we had a five million dollar you know mistake or a whiff, like it just didn't perform, but we learned." 10 things from it that next time will perform. So I like talking about those things and not hiding from them. And I, I do think it, it's a breath of fresh air for my team because they know they can take risks. And that's really important to me that they're always going to be on the cutting edge.
0: I got to tell you, I love that. Uh, you know, one of my one of my Pet peeves is uh, always there are these organizational chats that talk about best practices. Mm-hmm. And, and I always think companies should talk about worst practices, what didn't what didn't work, and be able to learn from some of that. So that's great that you're doing that. Again, let me remind our audience, you're listening to Measured Thoughts on SiriusXM. 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're currently speaking with Denise Carcos, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of TD Ameritrade. And she's got it down. She's got it figured out how to measure the value of your marketing. Give us a call at one wharton That's 1-844-942-7866. Uh, uh, Denise, I'm, I'm real curious about sort of your balance. One of the things I've heard you talk about is thinking about acquisition of customers. You talked about that. I haven't heard you talk about retention and how much you focus on retention. So, how do you trade off sort of the the focus on acquisition versus retention?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that we're we're doing, and I would give ourselves kind of a lower grade on retention from a marketing perspective. So, um, we have um, a, a very kind of bad habit in our in our category of deposit offers, meaning if an existing client deposits more money, we'll reward them with cash or free trades or you know, electronics or a trip. And it's it, it's an, something that all of our competitors do, and we all watch each other and match our, our offers. And um, it's an expensive part of our mix, but it's a very effective part of it. But that's not a retention strategy. So what we're working hard at now is, you know, looking at you know, loyalty programs, true programs that are not just these one-off, trying to you know buy people's love with a cash offer. Um, and then I go right back to the backbone of CRM. Um, until we built that infrastructure, we couldn't actually have real dialogues with our customers and. Kind of use all of our great propensity models for likely to attrite, and making sure that along their journey, when we see some of those signals, we're able to either pick up the phone or send them a different communication depending on their communication preferences. So, um, I, I would say, you know, average grade on this one, but our. Our plan is robust, and now that we've got the CRM infrastructure built, to be able to kind of use these models to help communicate and hopefully stand up some meaningful loyalty programs for our consumers.
0: Sure, we uh, have we have a, a uh, caller on on the line for you. So let's turn to Dave, and see what you have in mind. Dave, what's on your mind? Hi, Dave, and hi, Denise. I enjoy your program so far. It's a great amount of information. My question hi. really is the level of conversation you might have with your agencies or your third parties. First of all, are you speaking the same language when you ask them about metrics for your ROI or are they giving you the metrics that they
1: want to give you? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, So I I call myself kind of a a no-BS kind of leader. So the things that that have not worked out well for my agency partners is when I'm talking in the language of incremental return, and they're talking to me about um, a brand survey that they did with 100 people that showed that there was an affinity for the program. So that did happen early on because we had old muscle memory where we used these marketing metrics that no one understood but marketers, Um, and and yet now we've advanced our thinking so much that, that we truly do have... Um, much more robust metrics that we can talk, like I said, to a board of directors about. So it was a change management exercise. But what we do now is we have all the agencies come in when New Star Market Share comes and reports out which channels are working, which messages are working, so that everyone can kind of go back to their corners and know how they're performing. I think when I was on the agency side, I I always suffered from never getting enough data from the clients. It's just, I don't think it's any... um, ill will. It's just that the clients are kind of moving on to the next thing and trying to meet their business demands. So I make sure to have learned from that and bring the agencies in to understand this is how we measure success at TD Ameritrade in the marketing department and here's how you're performing and constantly bring them to the table to have the right analytical conversations.
0: So Dave, Dave's got a really good question which is trying to think about does your agency use the same metrics and, and so when they do a campaign for you do they talk your language? And I assume, Dave, that's part of what you were asking about, right? That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, so um, they do now. Um, so now, now they they talk about, um, they forecast a campaign that we're going to put into market, and they'll say that it's going to drive X amount of accounts and X amount of revenue. So they, they are, but it took a long time to get them there. Uh,
0: that's that's great. And I'm, I'm glad that you've done it. It sounds like you've really had to push and get them – uh, working on the same tone. So, uh, Dave, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it, and we'll see you later. Um, it, it, uh, I do want to find out sort of what's going next for you guys. What is it you're working on?
1: Yeah, so um, I would say that um, we're working on and maybe I'll take a different spin on this. I think one of the things, you know, I've talked about a lot of our, you know, marketing progress, um, but there's also the inner functionings of a marketing department. And we still are a little too slow in our pace to get to market not everywhere, but overall, if I look at my 250 marketers, there's different cases at which we can deliver programs to the marketplace. And the consumers are impatient and they're moving a mile a minute. And so how do we make sure that we're meeting them where they are? So, um, you know, one of the things I'm excited about is applying agile methodology to the marketing department so that we can move much faster, cut down our kind of 13-week cycle time or six-week cycle time down to a number of days. So we're just the very, very beginning of that thinking but I really do think that that will do two things for us one it will increase our speed to market um, but two it will force us to prioritize because I I study my associate engagement survey results every year and in one number never changes and it's not a good one it's that there's not enough resources to get the job done and I think that's because we have too many priorities on our plate Um, so I really believe that if we apply some of the true agile methodologies to our thinking that we were able to then also only focus on the big things so I'm excited about how that will be uh, received within the department.
0: So I'm going, to, I'm going to push you on that just for a second, which is you don't have enough resources. I, uh, I'm assuming that you've got finance bought in on all the metrics you're using as well. Absolutely. And you're showing a positive ROI for the things that you're spending on. So uh, why is it finance isn't poning up more resources? Because you're delivering a great ROI.
1: Here's why. Because we are still trying to get to... What, we know the ROI of a marketing dollar, but what's the ROI of a technology dollar? What's the ROI of a sales dollar? What's the ROI of a branch dollar? Until we can make trade-off decisions, uh, I certainly don't lack from investment and, and spend when we show the ROI. But in terms of really being a, a little bit more selfish, until we can understand more enterprise trade-offs, I'm not going to be the one always going to the well, um, unless I need to, and and when I do need to, I get what I need because I've, I've, to your point, brought financing on the conversation. But in terms of doubling down, um, and I also don't believe that you just throw bodies at something, which is what sure. I hear in my associate engagement, right? And I think that um, applying you know technology in, in different processes can help us really overcome some of this. So. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, – and, and, you know, last thing I'll say on that is also I, I just I, – I, I suffer from the history of CMOs and being the ones who are always asking for more and more and more, and I'm trying to debunk that – perception um and be more of a of a team player.
0: Denise great answer on that. I will tell you by the way that you are my poster child for an accountable marketer. <laughs> and I and I think that's great. You've been wonderful. So thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much.
0: I'm going to ask the the rest of the audience to please do stay with us. We're going to need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about marketing, branding, metrics, anything in the last 15 to 20 minutes of the show. Um, and if you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or send us an email at radio at This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 132.